Who doesn't love a good discussion about the end of the world? Uh, the disciples were no different. And in Matthew chapter 24, they have a discussion with Jesus about the end of the world. And this begins a series of parables and stories in Matthew chapter 25, where Jesus talks about the end, uh, about final judgment, about being prepared. Now, I hate to disappoint you, because the end of the world isn't going to happen due to a zombie apocalypse, a nuclear Armageddon, or a rogue asteroid hitting the planet. It won't be because of a coronal mass ejection from the sun or an eruption of the great caldera under Yellowstone, and it won't be COVID-19 or any other pandemic that will bring about the end. This is a special privilege that God has reserved for himself alone and no one else. Now the third story, the third and final teaching in Matthew 25 is often known as the parable of the sheep and the goats. However, it isn't really a parable, right? The Bible doesn't call it a parable. Jesus is actually telling a story of how it will be. He's describing what will really take place. It's more like the analogy of the sheep and the goats. He's giving a description of the final judgment and how it compares to a farmer separating his sheep from the goats. And in this analogy, the sheep represent those who belong to Jesus and the goats represent those who do not. Now this is the passage that's probably best known for when Jesus says, for I was hungry and you gave me food, I was thirsty and you gave me drink, and I was a stranger and you welcomed me. Jesus starts talking about the goats down in verse 41 of Matthew 25. This is our core verse for this week. And, and here's what Jesus says. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, we want to hit the pause button right here and talk about this for a moment this morning. Because um, our big idea, our, our theme for this week, isn't really about final judgment. It isn't about hell or, or any of these things. But it's about the reality and the importance of the supernatural. In one verse, Jesus drops a bomb that, that the final destiny of much of humanity will be a place that he calls the eternal fire. And it is a destiny that's already been prepared for the devil and his angels or demons, right? And he talks about these things as though they are really real, right? This isn't a part of some symbolic metaphor. Jesus is telling a story that, uh, that doesn't begin with once upon a time or in a galaxy far, far away. He speaks about this stuff as though it is a matter of fact. Now, as with so many things, our culture is of two minds when it comes to the spiritual realm. We're moving in, in two different directions at once, right? On this side are those who kind of deny the existence of the spiritual altogether. Right? 
They believe in nothing more than the material, physical world, that our universe is composed of nothing more than mass, energy, space, and time. And it is governed entirely by the laws of nature, right? And, and in this universe, science is all that is needed to understand our existence. However, over here, there are increasing numbers of people who not only you know, embrace the spiritual, but they're willing to see almost everything as having some sort of connection to the spiritual realm. You know, anything from crystals or pyramids to the movement of the stars to breathing techniques and essential oils, almost anything can tap in to the supernatural and, and spiritual energy. Right? And they borrow from almost every religion and every belief system. Right? So in this sense, being spiritual can be almost anything we want it to be. Because there's no guidelines, there's no limits, there's no measure of truth. Just this gelatinous superstition that anything that we want can connect us to something bigger and beyond ourselves. Now, Scripture... Scripture claims that, that God has revealed some very specific things about this unseen spiritual realm and the supernatural. And Jesus talks about the supernatural as though it were very real. And, and so this presents us with a very interesting choice. Right? We can accept, for instance, that Jesus is exactly who he claimed to be. That is, the promised Messiah, the Son of God. And we can accept what he says about the supernatural and, and the spiritual realm at face value. There is a spirit world, and that world is integrally connected to our world. There are supernatural agents at work within this realm and within ours. And what we say and do has an effect on that realm, and that realm has a very real impact on our lives. However, there are others that argue that, that Jesus was influenced by the mythologies and simplistic beliefs of his ancient culture. That he either believed these things because that's the way he was raised, and that's what everyone around him believed, or that he didn't believe these things, but he spoke this way, and he acted like he did because that's what everyone around him understood. Now, if we choose to believe that Jesus didn't really know what he was talking about on this subject, then on what basis can we believe with any sort of certainty that he is the Son of God? We can forgive our sins and change our lives. I mean, if Jesus is wrong about the supernatural, then, then how can we really believe him about him? Here's the bottom line. Jesus talks about heaven as though it is a very real place. He talks about hell as if it's a very real place. Jesus talks about angels and demons 
if they, as if they are very real beings. And not only does he talk about them, but he acted as though he was actually interacting with them. All right, Jesus talked to angels and demons. He cast demons out of people. He commanded them, and they obeyed him. Angels came and ministered to him after his temptation in the desert. Angels comforted him in the Garden of Gethsemane. If Jesus was imagining all of this, or he was just acting out a charade for the benefit of his audience, then Jesus isn't really a Savior or Lord who is to be believed and followed and worshipped. Right? He is to be pitied, diagnosed, and analyzed, or he is to be condemned, judged, and ignored. See, what I'm saying is, we can't be like Thomas Jefferson, who cut out all of the miracles and, and supernatural parts of the Gospels in an effort to keep the moral Jesus, the wise teacher, the ethical example, right? Because you can't keep the good Jesus without the supernatural Jesus, because Jesus embraced the supernatural and he spoke of it with such passion and conviction, right? Either the supernatural is real and Jesus is who he really claimed to be, or the supernatural isn't real, right? And if it isn't real, then we, we should just shut the doors of the church. We need to quit singing our songs, quit praying our prayers, and just go home and quit wasting our time. But we know instinctively, don't we, that there's more to life than what we can immediately experience with our five senses. We are wired for the supernatural. We long for that kind of connection, right? We're drawn to it. You think of all of the stories, books and, and movies that, that portray our world as being a part of or being connected to a greater reality. Whether it's Alice descending into Wonderland or the Pavinzi children going through Professor Diggory's magic wardrobe or Agent, Agent J discovering that our world is just one small world in a series of much bigger worlds. Or Neo being awoken to discover that real life is just a program running in the matrix. We're fascinated by this idea, I think, because it is etched into our souls that our world and our lives are a part of something bigger. Life is filled with what have been called uh, thin places or thin moments, where the veil between our earthly reality and the spirit realm just becomes so gossamer thin, like the stained glass in an old cathedral, where the light of the supernatural just, it can't help but shine through into our lives of concrete, dirt, and steel. And we feel something beyond. We experience the transcendent, and we know it in our bones that we're a part of something bigger, something greater, something deeper. 
it might be a, a thin place, right? A mountaintop vista that, that takes your breath away. An ocean shore where the waves of the seemingly infinite lap at your toes. Or it might be the top of a tree stand in the middle of a forest glade where uh, all of nature conspires to, do, to declare the glory of its creator. A thin place. It might be a thin moment, right? Thin moments could be like the first time that you hold your newborn child and a, and a tiny hand grabs your pinky finger and it, yet it is you. It feels like you're in the clutches of something greater. Or maybe it's that moment when your dying mother opens her eyes the final time. And she locks her gaze with you. She looks deeply into your eyes. And a smile creases her lips and she whispers, I've seen him. It's going to be okay. And a whole lifetime of, of love and meaning pass between the two of you in this moment that makes the hands of a clock face stand still. It could be a time of fasting where suddenly and unexpectedly the, the power of prayer hits you like it has never hit you before. You can actually quote the words that God spoke to you. It's a thin moment, and in those thin moments, and in those thin places, you become intensely and intimately aware that God is very real. And that the supernatural is not something to be ignored. It's not as if God is more present or more real in some places or some moments than he is in others. But I think the reality is, is that we're more able to hear, more able to see, more able to focus at some moments than others. Now, given the reality of the supernatural, I, I want to take a few moments here to make a few points about this spiritual realm from a biblical point of view. Now, I can't do a complete overview in, in a single sermon, but I do want to make a few key observations. And the first is this. First thing we need to understand is that our visible, physical, natural world is a part of this unseen spiritual world. The spiritual realm of the supernatural is a, a greater reality that transcends, surrounds, and encompasses our own. Right? We shouldn't view our world and the spirit world as separate alternate realities that only connect with each other at certain points or certain times. Rather, the spiritual realm is a greater reality that includes and transcends the natural world that we experience with our five senses. So in this sense, um, everything is a part of the spiritual realm. Right? When you look at it this way, Everything is spiritual. School or work on Monday, book club on Tuesday, Zoom meeting on Wednesday, practice on Thursday, date on Friday, fishing on Saturday, and church on Sunday. It's all spiritual, right? And you cannot divide your life into to the spiritual and the non-spiritual, right? Because there is no place 
that you can put something from your life where it isn't a part of this spiritual reality. Second, the spiritual world is eternal, but the natural world is temporary. One of the things that, that makes the spiritual realm supernatural or beyond nature is that it is eternal. It is beyond time. It's not subjected to the same laws of time as our natural world. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, uh, 18, As we look not to things that are seen, but to things that are unseen, for what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Right? Temporary versus eternal. The Bible is very clear that our world, as we know it, will someday cease to exist. And one of the things that Jesus tells uh, the disciples in their discussion in Matthew 24 is that heaven and earth will pass away. Now, heaven here, he's talking about, is probably the, the sky or atmosphere or what we would consider space, right? This present cosmos will pass away as we know it. Now, we also know from Scripture that God's ultimate plan for this world is to rescue, renew, and restore his original plan for creation. But it won't last in its present state. Now, evolutionary science replaces the eternal God with an eternal universe. But God's very clear that this universe, that this cosmos, and all of history is moving toward a predetermined and guided outcome. Second Peter 3, 7 says, but by the same word, uh, by the same word, that is the word of God, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Come on, everybody. A third truth about the spirit realm and the supernatural is that evil is real. Now, a lot of people today argue that the concept of evil is an antiquated concept whose time has passed. And what we call evil, they say, is really just a lack of education or economic justice or political inequalities or it's the symptom of a mental health issue or malfunctions in brain chemistry. But the Bible affirms that, that evil is very real. And its source is something else that's also very real. And that is the existence of Satan. The Bible insists that Satan is a very real being who was once a high-ranking angel in service to God. He rebelled against God along with a number of other angels and Satan and these rebellious angels that in turn tempted humanity and led humanity to also rebel against God, thus corrupting God's perfect creation. And the Bible calls this human evil sin. Now for decades, belief in the reality of Satan, in our culture at least, 
has steadily declined. But in recent years, a curious phenomenon has been taking place. Even though belief in God continues to decline, belief in Satan is on the rise. At the same time, belief in hell is, is continued to decline to all-time lows, while belief in heaven remains relatively high. Are you following this? We live in a culture that increasingly doesn't believe in God, but does believe in heaven. We also believe in Satan, but we don't believe in hell. Now, how do you make sense of all of that? Well, I've never learned to underestimate the ability of the average American to hold the contradictory beliefs at the same time. But what this tells me is two things. Number one, we have dangerously underestimated the seriousness and reality of evil. Number two, more of us actually believe that, that Satan is either good or at least a misunderstood figure. And when you don't believe that evil is real, or that evil is even evil, then you give evil a lot more elbow room to do its work. That might explain a lot of things that are happening in our country. Now, while we understand the reality of evil, we also need to understand that the battle between good and evil is not a battle between equal forces. A lot of people have a, a mistaken notion of, of good and evil engaged in this cosmic yin and yang struggle, vying for control of the universe, right? And, and it looks like evil has the upper hand and then good makes it come back. And back and forth the battle rages, the battle is fierce, the outcome is uncertain. Who will win? No one knows. Except this isn't the picture the Bible paints at all. The biblical picture is this, that God is almighty. He's in sovereign control of the universe. The well-known Romans 8.28 declares, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. The Bible also affirms, that the ultimate outcome and the end of evil has already been decided. The Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians uh, 1, 10, and 11 that God's plan is, quote, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. In our core verse this morning, Jesus already says there is an eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, whether this fire is literal or metaphorical, doesn't matter in the sense that Satan's destiny is already decided. So Satan isn't engaged in this fight between good and evil to win. He's not going to win. He's already been defeated. He is fighting to take as many of us with him as he can. The Bible teaches that, that the defeat of Satan and the spiritual forces of evil was decided when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. Here's what Colossians 2.15 says about the spiritual forces of evil. Quote, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, 
talking about Satan and his angels. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now, if this is true, if God is in control, evil's already ultimately been defeated, then where does all the evil come from? This is the big question that so many people wrestle with and trip over. Why is there so much evil in the world? Let me give you the short answer, and it is this. Satan is no longer the only source of evil in the universe. In fact, the greatest source of evil in our world is the sin that exists in every human heart. Consider the following verses. Uh, and these verses cover a wide swath of human history. Genesis 6, 5. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Ecclesiastes 9, 3. The hearts of people, moreover, are full of evil, and there is madness in their hearts while they live, and afterward they join the dead. Matthew 15, 19 through, through the first part of verse 20. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Right. Now this is the source of God's dilemma, if you will. On the one hand, he has the power to fully and finally do away with all evil in the universe in a single moment. But this means also doing away with sinful humanity. But he longs to save humanity. We are his beloved creation. And this is why God delays. He's trying to rescue as many of us as possible. He can't destroy the sin until he first saves the sinner. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. This brings me to one final point, and that is this. What we do matters. What you do here matters there. Right? Since our world is a part of this greater unseen reality, since our daily lives are affected by this spiritual realm, since evil is real and Satan has a plan for our lives, and since God is greater and has a greater plan for our, our lives, then what we do here in our earthly lives has a huge impact in the spirit world. The temporary affects the eternal. The material affects the spiritual. Right? We are neither insulated or isolated from the supernatural. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. 
and the rulers, authorities, and cosmic powers he's talking about here are Satan and his demonic minions, these fallen angels. And he's saying that, that in our lives here, we're dealing with forces there. Right? Everything you say and do sends ripples in this unseen spiritual realm. Right? You're either stirring forces for good through prayer, through God's word, through selfless acts of love, or you are stirring up the forces of evil through sin and rebellion. Now, what you do here can either make you stronger and make you more secure from the forces of, of evil, or they make you more vulnerable. And it isn't just what you do here matters there, but it's also that what you do now matters then. Right? What we do in this temporary world matters in eternity. All the things that you do, all the decisions that you make have a lasting impact in what happens forever. But of all of these decisions, the Bible says there is one decision that matters more than any other decision you make. And it's not where you go to school, it's not who you're going to marry or what you do for a career or who you vote for. But it's the same question we looked at a couple of weeks ago. Who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus is? Jesus is the one who has defeated the forces of evil. Jesus is the one who's paid the price for all the evil we have done. Jesus is the one who can transform the evil of our own hearts into a home that, for all that is loving and good. Jesus is the one who can secure our place in eternity. But we must place our faith in Him. You must follow Him. That not only means that what you do here matters there, but it might mean what you do now may matter more than anything else that you've ever done and that you will ever do. It all depends on what you decide about Jesus. What is your relationship to the supernatural today? What is your standing in this unseen spiritual realm? Thank you for listening, and God bless.